you brought your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the 68th Psalm. If you would like to go ahead and turn there. If not, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. Uh, you might also notice a Bible somewhere close by you, one of our pew Bibles. You can open that if you would like to. Again, six, uh, Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. So about four years and one month ago, I was standing in the parking lot of First Baptist Church, Bront, Texas, leaning into the driver's side window of my wife's car, having just locked up the church behind me for the very last time, our very last day there. We were literally getting in our vehicles and driving from Bront to here uh, to begin our life here. And although I'm not much of a crier uh, on normal circumstances, uh, I was weeping because I, I can remember the door clicking shut behind me and that being the moment where everything that I had been subconsciously avoiding for the last two months suddenly became real in that moment. I've told you about that before. I want to tell you about what happened right after that this morning. As I was leaning into the vehicle, um, weeping and trying to get some uh, encouragement from my wife and her wide-eyed stare like, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? You don't normally do that. Uh, As that was happening, I heard a vehicle pull up behind me. I glanced over my shoulder and I realized that it was an elderly couple that were members of our church. I was a little surprised to see them because I didn't think they were in town. And I didn't think they were in town because they weren't there that morning. Now, this, might, this is going to sound a little selfish, so just go ahead and get prepared, okay? Uh, I was surprised they weren't there that morning because it was my last Sunday there, and I thought uh, that we had a good relationship. Um, I had spent hours on their couch in their home uh, visiting with them. I had seen them in the hospital numerous times. Both of them had been in and out of the hospital the entire six years that I was there. One time I went in the middle of the night uh, to see the, uh, the husband uh, of the relationship because it was a, kind of a dire circumstance. I uh, needed to see him. He ended up being okay. But during that six and six plus years we were there, I thought I had developed a relationship. So when I didn't see them at church that morning, I just assumed that they were out of town. And so when I saw him over my shoulder, I thought, well, this couple is here and, and they're wanting to, uh, maybe they just got back into town. They're wanting to come by and say a quick goodbye uh, before we leave. So I walked over to the vehicle, probably still, you know, obviously visibly distraught. Uh, and they rolled down their window and it wasn't at all what I was expecting. Instead, they told me that there was a birthday party in town for another, lo- for another church member, another elderly church member, uh, and that they were trying to find it and they were going to see if I knew where it was. And so it wasn't like they were coming back into town to say goodbye. It's just that they happened to be driving by uh, and thought that I might know where the birthday party was. Again, maybe noticing that I was visibly distraught, they said, oh, today was your last day, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we've been talking about that the last month. It was my last day. You're correct. Um, And I figured out why they weren't there. The reason why they weren't there, and I guess they felt like they had to tell me at that point, uh, was because also that morning, the Methodist church, which was literally 20, 30, you know, 20 to 50 yards from our property, uh, just across the street, really, um, they had, we had a really good relationship with the church. I had a really good relationship with the pastor. They had just completed a brand new fellowship hall. Uh, we had built one a couple years before that. They had just completed one. It was their grand opening. This couple had given money to it, and they needed to come and be honored and recognized because they had given money to something. And again, maybe that's a valid reason, maybe not. But selfishly, I thought, well, that's, that's nice. I'm glad you got to go and, and be honored uh, and that you came to say goodbye, even though you didn't really come to say goodbye. You, know, you just came to ask me where this birthday party was. And then they kind of nonchalantly <coughs> said goodbye. I remember the conversation was so nondescript. 
Just one of those normal, awkward conversations you have with people. Even at one point saying, oh, where are you going? You're going to Dallas, right? Which, by the way, give them a break. Anything this direction from, to West Texans, uh, anything in North Texas is essentially Dallas. The whole thing is Dallas from Weatherford to Greenville, right? From, from Waco to Denton. Everything is basically Dallas to West Texans. Uh, so they left kind of nonchalantly with that. And again, I'm already emotionally distraught at that point. And I'm, I'm making a lot of it. But I remember that for a reason. I remember that because there have been few times in my career in ministry where I have felt that lonely. Um, we were leaving. We were unplugging completely. I've talked about the difficulty of that before, moving from one environment to another. And I know in ministry we're not alone in that, that many of you have picked up your entire life and moved it because of a career choice or because of a family need and how threatening that can be to your entire system, your entire way of life. So that was going on. But just the, the thought that I had made like, and maybe it was a self-righteous thought, but that I had made a difference in this couple's life and then to see that it was just another day for them. I remember feeling lonely in that moment. And you might say, well, why in the world would you feel lonely? I had uh, our little boy, Corbin, was about two at the time uh, in the car. Cheryl, of course, was, was waiting on me. Uh, we were completely unified in, in coming here. Uh, there were a few things in, in our marriage other than having our children that we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that God was calling us to do. Other than like coming here, that was one of those things. You guys unanimously declared that the case as well, which we were enjoyed and, 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 and felt loved and everything like that. And so you could, you could ask in that situation, why in the world would you feel alone? I don't know. Loneliness is one of those things that you can't often describe, right? It's one of the same things that one of the same things that play as to why you can feel lonely in a crowded room of why maybe some of you, when Thanksgiving and Christmas come up, you're going to be in a room surrounded by your family and still feel lonely. Or maybe you're in a crowded church building or a Sunday school class or even lying your head on your pillow next to your spouse. There might be something in you that feels lonely, even though you shouldn't. Even though you don't understand why, loneliness is something that we struggle with in our world today. Statistics prove this to be the case. Loneliness is killing us and making us sick. Now, preachers are prone to overstatements, but people who study the world around us would say that that's not an overstatement. The Washington Post reported last year that rates of loneliness, that's people who self-report being lonely, so this is probably even a conservative estimate, rates of loneliness have risen, have doubled since 1980 since the 1980s, up into the 40-something percentile of Americans that report feeling lonely on a semi-regular basis. USA Today reported in May earlier this year that the youngest generation, Generation Z, were the most likely to report loneliness. Now, that seems counterintuitive, I know, but it tells you the direction that our society is heading, where even though we feel super connected in our technological society, that we are, in reality, becoming less and less connected. That same USA Today article said that being lonely has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes every day. Loneliness, chronic loneliness, has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That wasn't the only source that talked about the health implications related to loneliness. In 2013, an online article on Slate.com reported that those who live in social isolation were twice as likely to die prematurely, and that health-wise, social isolation or loneliness is about twice as dangerous as obesity. 
And the New York Times in 2016 reported that individuals with less social connections or more socially isolated individuals, they have disrupted sleep patterns, altered immune systems, more inflammation, higher levels of stress hormone, and an increased risk of up to 32% of heart disease and stroke. They've also noticed, particularly among the elderly, that those who live in social isolation are, there is a growing epidemic among them when it comes to cognitive decline. It's even getting to the point that governments are starting to do things about it. Here's something that happened earlier this year. In January of this year, the United Kingdom created a position within their government that they call the Minister of Loneliness. I'm not joking. They noticed that it was such a significant issue within the United Kingdom that the government itself was not only going to throw resources, but was going to create an entire position, an entire position with staff underneath her to become the minister of loneliness. By the way, can you think of a more depressing business card to give someone? Hello, I'm Corey. I'm the minister of loneliness. Can you think of something more distraught to like spend your life doing? I've actually read a little bit on this lady. She suffered from depression earlier on in her life, so she's the perfect individual to serve in some kind of role like this. But the United Kingdom noticed that 9 million people within their country reported being lonely often or always. So if you had like one of those like one to five uh, surveys, it would be the four and five category, right? It would be the people who loneliness is a chronic issue. Nine million people, that's about 14% of their population. According to Time Magazine, it was costing UK employers three and a half billion dollars annually to deal with this loneliness epidemic from missed work to healthcare to all the other things that come alongside of it. And so they decided to do something about it and to actually put someone in government in charge to become the minister of loneliness. Loneliness is killing us and making us sick. It's even lonelier when we're lonely in places where we feel like we shouldn't be lonely. And that's what I want to get at in particular this morning. We see television shows about workplaces like The Office or something where the individuals get along and, and laugh and play jokes on each other and there seems to be this camaraderie. If you're in a workplace and you feel lonely... You feel like not only are you lonely, but you're alone in your loneliness. This is not how it's supposed to be. You might feel that way among classmates if you're in school. And again, you see classmates enjoying and best friending other people within your class. And you're left at the lunch table by yourself or feeling socially isolated while everybody else seems to be connecting. Again, in marriages, it's one of those pronounced lonelinesses. It's not necessarily that you and your spouse are antagonistic towards each other, but if if you've ever been in a relationship where somebody that you've known for decades feels entirely distant, the loneliness that can come with that is a loneliness that is a different animal. And even loneliness within the church, one of the places that we as Christians believe that ought to be the most welcoming, the most friendship-nurturing can sometimes feel the loneliest because when we feel isolated at church, we feel like maybe there's something wrong with us, and we feel like this is obviously not the way that it should be. And when we feel that way, we feel correctly. It should not be that way. We are indeed the body of Christ. But this morning, I don't just want to give you bad news. I want to tell you that there's hope. And I want to tell you that the church, even though I've just told you that when we feel lonely in the church, it's harder than any other kind of loneliness, at least in my opinion, I want to tell you the good news that the church is God's cure for the loneliness epidemic. In the scripture we're going to read this morning, Psalm 68, we see God and the way he solves loneliness, the desire that he has to bring people together and to put the lonely in homes. 
And before I go ahead and read the passage, let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this morning, God. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you, as, as Daniel reminded us earlier, God, that when, because of you, we are never truly alone. God, that you are with us. Your word tells us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is even among us, within us, today. So, God, I pray that through your spirit, Lord, even as we talk about loneliness and, and read your scripture, God, that if there's anybody in here this morning that is feeling lonely, God, that through your spirit you would testify to them that they are not alone, that you are with them, that you are for them. And God, I pray that those of us who are comfortable, Lord, that you would afflict us, God, that you would push us towards the lonely, remove distractions so that we might hear your challenge, and then God, let us hear it clearly, removing all else, any fleshliness within me, so that we might hear and then act upon your holy word. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6, the psalmist, likely David, writes these words. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. God is for the lonely. The scripture says that God is father of the fatherless, protector of the widows, two populations in serious danger in any human era, but certainly in the one in which David is writing. A fatherless, anybody left without the patriarch of their home, the patriarch of their family, they were left in dire straits both spiritually uh, as well as socially, as well as just physically in danger by those who might seek to take advantage of them. So whether they were left fatherless or husbandless, either way in that society it was a population in danger. Now this, you know, the orphan and and the widow are are still uh, a huge issue today, of course, still an issue where we see loneliness and and a metaphor in which we can still understand, and it tells us that God is for the lonely. That God is a father to those who have none. God is a protector to those who have none. And and before I move on and I talk about the role of the church and allowing God to cure loneliness through us, I don't want to gloss over the fact that the only surefire cure to loneliness is, is a relationship with God. A relationship with God is the only surefire cure to loneliness. There is a kind of loneliness that cannot be solved through human connection. There is a kind of loneliness that only God can remedy, that only God can feel. We have, as, as the old cliche and metaphor goes, and some cliches are useful because they're actually meaningful, we have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and we might try to fill that with relationships with people or relationships with our job or relationships with our things, but only God can fill that need, that inner need beyond us to connect not just with other people, not just with flesh, not just with the temporal or things that are passing away, but to connect with something that is divine, something that is eternal, something that is transcendent. God is our only singular, only hope for that. And so if there's anybody here this morning that is feeling a sense of loneliness, I want to encourage you first and foremost that your loneliness is solved in an eternal sense in the person of God and who he is. I say person on purpose. 
because he is, a, he is here and he is active and he is personal. He is in relationship with us. He is within us in his Holy Spirit. He is among us in his Holy Spirit seeking to minister to us, seeking to give us hope and, and, and a future and, and peace and all of the things that the Spirit of God brings, certainly a cure to loneliness. So we can say that no matter where we are, no matter how alone, how alone we are, even on a desert island, that we are, as children of God, never truly alone. A relationship with God is the only surefire cure to loneliness. But notice what the psalmist says, that God places the solitary in a home. He settles the solitary in a home. Now, God himself is, of course, a home in which we might find in which we might find satisfaction, in which we might find relationship. But I believe there's also the inclination that, that God settles people in a family. As a matter of fact, that word home can mean family in the Hebrew. And that word solitary can mean lonely. As a matter of fact, if you're reading through the NIV or some of the other translations, it might say something along the lines of God puts the lonely in a family. God puts the lonely in a home. Think of that word solitary. It seems a little foreign to us. Lonely seems more familiar. But think of that word, how lonely it feels, how hollow it feels. I'm reminded of a time when I was a child and I wanted to play cards with my sisters and they were too busy. And so they taught me how to play solitaire for the first time ever. I remember thinking as a child, a game you play by yourself. What kind of game is that? Like if I beat myself, who am I going to brag over? Who am I going to take joy in beating if I'm beating the cards? Is, like there, is there joy in that? But since then, i played solitaire many times. I have, back in the day, my computer became very, you know, common with playing solitaire. But we've done that in a lot of different ways in our society today. It might not be just solitaire. There's all kinds of things we can look at this and play a game by ourselves and to ourselves. I played a lot of video games when I was a kid. I know there's connection within those kinds of things today through the internet, but it does seem interesting in our society that there is so much entertainment that is made for the individual. Solitaire. I think that's a good, apt metaphor for the loneliness in our culture today. That we are busy, multi-million dollar industry, making games for people to play by themselves. I think it says something about the nature of our world. And again, that feels lonely, doesn't it? That feels something short of what God had in mind. So when you hear that word solitary or lonely, and it creates that kind of uncomfortable feeling within you, let it, it should. God places the solitary in a home or a family, depending on which translation you're reading. Again, what about that word home? What is a home? I know when Corman says, I'm ready to go home, he means a house. Most kids do. I'm ready to go back to the place that I live where I'm comfortable. But we all know that home can mean much more than that. Again, another apt cliche, because it's actually useful, is home is where the heart is. Home is where the mind is. Home is where your people are. Home is where you are, where you feel most comfortable and at home. Even that, that phrase, feeling at home somewhere, it tells us about the nature of what a home really means to have a sense of belonging, to have a sense of fitting in as if you are a puzzle piece to a larger whole and you fit perfectly as you're snapped in the place you feel like you're right where you should be. That's home. 
And the psalmist David tells us that God cares for those who are homeless, in a sense. If you've ever gone with us to our homeless ministry, you know what literal homelessness looks like and the despair that that can breed, all of the different problems that that can breed, anything from cognitive issues to health issues to social issues, all of them, certainly economic issues had by those who are on the streets. But think about it through the lens of this idea of loneliness. Many people today are living in practical homelessness. To be lonely is, is to be practically homeless. Now, you might have a place to go that you call your house or your home, but if you don't have a people with which you belong, there is a sense of homelessness, a very real sense, and in some ways even more real than literal homelessness that we would call in our society today. To be without a safe place, without your people. Everybody loves to have their people, right? The people that you can go after a long day at work or after a frustrating encounter with someone out in the world that you can go to your people, that you can go to your home base and that you can vent, that you can be encouraged, that you can encourage those who are around you and take joy in that as well. When we don't have that homelessness is an apt metaphor. We don't have a place to belong. And, and just like literal homeless people, and again, I'm not trying to like belittle their plight. That is a terrible issue that we need to be about in this world. But when it comes to loneliness, it is another issue that kind of fits that same mold because people are left dangerous in many different ways. We've seen even health ways that I've told you about earlier. Now, don't miss the beauty of this verse, this little psalm from David. God is a father to the fatherless, a protector of the widows. He places the solitary in a home. He gives the lonely a family, starting with himself, but also with this thing called the church, which is God's cure for the loneliness epidemic. God's cure in that we get to introduce people to God introduce people to the one true surefire cure for loneliness, but also that we as the body of Christ, think about all the familial metaphors throughout Scripture when it comes to the body of Christ, the family of God. When we get to be a part of that and express what that means, we get to be the salve to other people's sickness of loneliness. We get to be the refuge for the practically homeless. We get to be the teammate for the lonely. We get to be those who God uses to give hope to those who feel like there is none because they have no real, lasting, deep human connections. If we can't find that in the church, something is desperately wrong with the church, not with God. God is here. God is present. But if we have loneliness as an epidemic in our church, it tells me that the sickness the darkness from our culture has seeped into the church and we are becoming exactly like those around us, socially isolated in our own little circles, in our own little business, paying attention to only what matters right now in the moment to each of us as individuals and losing the fact that God put us here as our brothers and sisters keeper. I see many people in the American church today being like Cain when God came to ask about Abel. He said, I'm not my brother's keeper. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it really my job to worry about my brother or sister? And I believe wholeheartedly that the answer from Scripture is absolutely it is your job. Absolutely it is your responsibility. As a matter of fact, Philippians tells us that we could, should consider others as more important than ourselves. That we should love God and then love 
people just as we love ourselves. There is no difference between loving others and loving ourselves that should be on the same level as God lays out in his holy word. We're not immune to that within our own body. We're not immune to this issue. Some of you are living through that right now. I want to tell you today, if you are here experiencing loneliness, the first thing I want to tell you is that God is for you. And God is with you. And no matter how many times humanity fails you, and it will happen again after today, I guarantee you, I will likely fail you. No matter how many times humanity fails you, God will not. Do not view God through the lens of women and men. He is not human. He is above that. Humanity lets us down. God never will. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Even when we turn our back on him, he still pursues us. God is a father to the fatherless. He is with you and he is for you. And if you are here this morning feeling loneliness, I also want to give you not only a word of encouragement, this might sound counterintuitive, but also a word of challenge. I'm going to ask you to bear with me for a moment. Because how could you challenge the lonely? Taking steps to cure your loneliness is your responsibility. Too many people in the church today and in our world today are sitting in their lonely cubicle or in their lonely homes waiting for somebody to come to them. And the person that they're waiting on coming to them is sitting in their lonely cubicle, sitting in their lonely home, waiting for somebody to come to them. And we have a bunch of people waiting on other people to take the first step, and nobody does. And we just continue to isolate ourselves. You realize you could be both the cure for yourself and someone else simply by reaching out in Jesus' name to those around you. Taking steps to cure your loneliness is your responsibility. That is also scriptural. That we should be the ones to love and reach out, not to be loved. Those commands to love are not something that you're supposed to give to other people. It's supposed to be something that you take to heart on your own and that you reach out actively in Jesus' name. And for those of you who are well-connected and don't really know what loneliness feels like, which I would maybe argue that that's nobody. I think everybody at some point knows what loneliness feels like, but perhaps it's not a present reality for you. I want to remind you that God is with and for the lonely. And I think it's a good idea to be for and with the people that God is for and with. Amen? And I want to remind you that there is always a lonely person looking on. When you're in a crowded group, when you're in a church building, there's always someone watching that needs human relationship. If the statistics are true, which I wholeheartedly believe that they are. There's always someone looking at your group of friends laughing, thinking, man, I wish I could be a part of that. Or looking at your family as you throw your kids into the air, missing the time that they were able to do that. Or going to a movie and posting selfies of you and your spouse. Not that you should feel guilty about it either. I'm not saying that. There's always somebody seeing that thinking, I wish I had that kind of relationship. Imagine, if you would, sitting down in a restaurant across from a person that is obviously starving, drawn up, skin and bone, and somebody sitting down a 20-ounce T-bone steak in front of you and you devouring every single bite without thinking to give the other person a taste. You would never do that, right? 
You would give at least a few bites to somebody in need. You would, you would help someone in need. We do that relationally every day. We go to the people with whom we're comfortable. We hang out with our cliques. We might not call them that, and we might not have created those on purpose, but we hang out with the people that are like us, that like us, and we get comfortable within that group. All the while, there are people standing on the sideline looking across the table salivating for such a relationship, for such a connection. How about we extend a taste? A taste of friendship and relationship. Taking steps to cure your loneliness is your responsibility for those who are well-connected. Taking steps to cure the loneliness of others is your opportunity. It's a chance for God to use you, to make a difference, to be his cure for the loneliness epidemic. You say, I believe that the prospect of loneliness is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is nothing about the gospel that promotes loneliness or a lone ranger mentality. That is a new Western American idea that I'm a lone ranger, I'm an island, I'm on my own, I'm going to do this thing individualistically. No, we belong to a community and there's nothing contradicting that within scripture. We belong. There are times that people had to stand up on their own and make big decisions. But even when Elijah is in the wilderness saying, God, I'm all on my own, what is God quick to remind him? No, you're not. There are other people. Uh, It was never meant to be a lone ranger kind of thing, ever. That is a creation of our modern world. Loneliness is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times do you see God working to cure loneliness for those who suffer with it? Think about the places in Scripture. Those of you who are familiar with the story of uh, Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, think of the Egyptian maidservant, Hagar. Think of how God used her, right, what God did in her. Think of that, that whole story, right? And when I say used her, I mean she probably at least felt used by God and God's people. Abraham and Sarah, because of their lack of faith in God, decided to bring her into their plan and likely unwillingly on her part impregnated her because they didn't believe that God had the ability to impregnate Sarah just like God promised would happen. And because they didn't believe God, they brought her and her son Ishmael into the whole story. And what happened? Sarah got bothered by Hagar's presence and decided she needed to leave. And so Abraham, being a nice, wonderful stand-up guy, aren't you glad that there are fallen people all throughout the pages of Scripture and that even Abraham is one of them? Tells Hagar, it's time for you to go. Gives her some water and says, good luck, essentially. And she leaves, and she's later on after that about to die of thirst and begs somebody out there to listen to her because she sees her son about to die from thirst. And then God shows up. He is a father to the fatherless, a protector of the widows, and he's been that from the very beginning. Do you know who the first person to name God in Scripture is? It's Hagar, and she calls God the God who sees. Our God is a God who sees the lonely and the hurting and the marginalized. We see that in Jesus all over the place when he stood in front of a crowd of murderous people and said, if you're going to stone this woman, you should cast the first stone if you have no sin, willing to take their wrath upon himself, who was willing to call out to the wee little man Zacchaeus in the tree who was just a a, a terrible tax collector, varmint of an individual. God was willing to call out to him. Jesus was willing to be associated with the gluttons and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners because he 
he knew they were on the outside of society and someone needed to be a father to the fatherless, a protector of the widows. Jesus was that man, even on the cross. He knew that he was about to leave his mother without any, like, without a father or without a husband, not a father, without a husband without he being there as a son to take care of her. And so even on the cross, he talks to the only disciple that was in his presence, John, and he essentially tells her, this is your mother, take care of her. Even in the worst moment of his life, God, Jesus, was for and with the lonely. Loneliness is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and anywhere it exists, it is proof that the world is still at work, and we are not yet where we ought to be. But again, I have a promise for you. I have good news for you. The church is God's cure for the loneliness epidemic in our world today. Again, if you're feeling lonely this morning, just like God sought out Hagar, just like Jesus called out to Zacchaeus, God through his Holy Spirit today is present, wanting to minister to you in a quiet, invisible way, but in the most powerful way possible. Your loneliness will never be cured completely until you have that relationship with God. If you don't have that this morning and you want to know more about it, I would love to talk to you during our time of invitation or after our service is over. You can talk with me then. But I also want to tell you that there is a community to which you can belong. And instead of getting lost in your loneliness, admit the pain is real, sit with it, admit it, be honest with the pain of loneliness, and then do the awkward, courageous thing of stepping out. We're so afraid of awkwardness in our society that we don't want to have awkward little conversations or awkward interactions or share a meal with a, with a person that we haven't shared a meal with before because we're afraid there might be awkward silence. Would you just give it up and push past that? And realize that just on the other side of awkwardness, in many cases, there is a lifetime relationship waiting on you. Friendship, companionship, community. And even if you are lonely, to take that step towards someone else. And certainly for those of you who feel connected, who feel like you have a good group of friends around you and aren't currently struggling with loneliness, someone around you is. Someone watching you is. In the name of Jesus Christ, Give them a taste of the community of Jesus, of the body of Jesus. Let me give you a real-world way to do that. You know, one of the things that we don't do much in our society even anymore, and I know I don't sound like a young man saying something like that. Being just 35, you would think I would be 60 or 70. The kids these days just don't do this anymore. It's kind of what I'm saying. But one of the things that we don't do anymore in our society, even in the 20 years that I've been aware of things going on around me, is open up our home and share meals with each other. Something we just don't do very much anymore. If you do, you're in the minority, and God bless you. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Twice a month, for the next year, dedicate yourself to having someone over or having someone out. There are few better ways to connect with someone than over a meal. I'm not just saying that as a guy who loves food. I'm saying that as a student of the world around me. There are few better ways to connect with someone than over a meal. It takes away some of that awkwardness. Or over coffee. Or go to a game. Whatever it might be, just a couple of times a month, 
for the rest of the year. I'm not just saying this like, ah, oh, here's some nice little idea. No, this is a real challenge. Two times a month, once every other week, essentially, for the next year, have somebody out for lunch or supper at a restaurant or have them over to your house. If you're feeling like, well, I got, you know, five kids at my house and, and we're doing all this other stuff and I can't clean up, blah, 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 then go out. You don't have to go to like, you know, Ruth's Chris or something in downtown Fort Worth. Go to McDonald's. Who cares? Just Subway, whatever. Just go somewhere. Have somebody out and spend some time with them and get to know them. And look, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. You don't have to have a Bible study for it to be holy, right? Just share life with each other. We have plenty of Bible studies here that you can come and be a part of. Sometimes, though, we just have too much, and it's time to go actually go out and just live the life and actualize Scripture rather than studying it and not doing anything with it. Amen? Or oh my, this is what God is calling us to do. And so I encourage you to take that challenge. Somebody in this body will be a good place to start or somebody that you hope would be connected to this body as well. And by the way, I have on either windowsill as well in the back, like the windowsills going out of these two doors, there are little cards. We've done it before connected to sermon series, but these are just much more generic cards that you can give to people to let them know that they're loved by Jesus and his church and that we want them to come and be a part of this body. Pick one of those up. Pick some of those up. I have a couple hundred of them. There's plenty. I'll bring more out as they get taken. I can give them to somebody and, and let them know that this church, this community cares about him. You do, that Jesus cares about him. The church is God's cure for the loneliness epidemic. You are God's cure for the loneliness epidemic in your own life and in the lives of those around you. Think about that. Pray about that during this time of invitation. Daniel's going to be at the back in the Welcome Center. If you'd like a little privacy for somebody to pray with, I'll be down here to pray with you about this or anything else. Let's stand together. The altar will be open as always. I'm going to pray. Bill and then are going to lead us in a song of invitation, and you move in whatever way God is calling you to. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for being present with us for being a God who is for us through your son, Jesus, extending yourself to us even when we don't deserve it. God, as you have reached out for us, may you show us how to reach out to those around us. In your name, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.